Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. If we go back a few weeks, you will remember that throughout this year, so far, we have been looking at a series that came out of that passage in Isaiah 6, where one morning, this priest called Isaiah, who walked in and out of the temple every day, went in and had an encounter. He was radically changed by a vision of God that he wasn't expecting. And out of that passage, during the year, we've looked at a number of themes. We've looked at passion, about how that encounter drove Isaiah on to 60 years of ministry. We looked at purity about how Isaiah recognised the need for his lips to be made clean so that he could speak God's word. And then more recently, we've been looking at presence. We've been looking at the characteristics of dwelling in the presence of God. And today, we carry on with that by looking at how we can embrace the presence of God. How we can do that personally, and how we can do that as a church. Now firstly, I think it's important that we understand what the word embrace means. Colin, come up here. I'm going to give Colin a warm embrace. Ow! Jolly nice to see you. Ow, lovely. Now you see, that's what we British call a warm embrace. No. This is an embrace. It's when you can't get any more of someone in your arms. Yeah, no, no, it's all right. We won't, we won't go there, Colin. But it's, it is. It's when you get as close to someone and cling on to them as you possibly can. And so if we're going to talk about embracing God, that's what we've got to have in our minds. Not a gentle thing, but getting as deep into the presence of God, as close to him as we physically are able. Now right from the start of creation, from the dawn of time, it was intended that we should live in relationship with God. It was never planned that there would be a barrier between us. In Genesis 3, we read about the fall of mankind. When sin and when rebellion entered the world. And when we started to see the breakdown in that relationship between man and God. It says in Genesis 3, starting at verse 8... 
And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and he said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman who you gave me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. What we have in that passage is a picture of a wonderful relationship coming to an end. God was walking in his garden. And that was the place where he had invited Adam and Eve to live. To live with him. It was a world over which Adam had been given the authority. And God here, when we read this scripture, is probably doing nothing different than he had done on many, many days before. He's walking. He's in his garden. And he calls out to Adam, expecting to enter into a conversation about all the things that had been going on. But on this day, instead of embracing God's presence in the garden, suddenly this couple were overcome with a new emotion. One they hadn't felt before. It's called shame. Suddenly they were aware of their nakedness for the first time. And they were acutely aware that they'd done something wrong. And so instead of rushing towards God with arms open wide, ready to embrace him, suddenly they can't bear the thought of bumping into him. They know that if he sees them, that penetrating look of his will go straight through them, right to the heart of the issue. And so they hide. God wanders closer. Adam! Come on, where are you? Are you playing some sort of game? Instead of embracing God's presence, that relationship is broken. And what's sad is as you read on through Genesis, it takes several generations before that relationship can even start to be mended. In fact, it gets so bad at one point that God wipes out everything living on the planet save Noah and his family. But then you get to Moses. We're into Exodus now, Exodus chapter 2. And we read this. 
Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place you are now standing on is holy ground. He said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them out of all that, that land sorry, to bring them out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Israel? He said, I will be with you and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt you shall serve God on this mountain all through these generations God has still been seeing what has been going on he's been watching his people he's seen them suffer he's seen them be afflicted and in fact, he's breaking his heart over them. And now, he sees that the time is right to intervene. And so, in this image of a burning bush, God appears to Moses. Now, this is another one of those appearances of the angel of the Lord. What we call a theophany. And that is often considered to be an appearance of Christ in his pre-incarnate form to man. By his pre-incarnate form, I mean before he became flesh at the start of the New Testament era. But whatever the case, Moses was left in no doubt at all who he was being addressed by. I am the God of your forefathers. God outlines his plan for the release of Israel from captivity in Egypt. And
And to go with it, he gives him a promise. I will be with you. It's a promise that Moses would come to rely on many, many times during his life. Here is God promising his presence once again. Moses recognised how important this was going to be. He recognised it when he pleaded with God in Exodus 33. Because he said to God, when God wanted to move him on, he said, I don't want to go from here unless your presence goes with me. And God said to him, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then as we read on through Exodus... During their 40 years wandering around the wilderness, the people of Israel become familiar with God's presence and God's leading. We've looked at how they camped around the very presence of God. But in addition to that, they were given direction day by day by the pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire at night. God had decided to dwell amongst his people. Literally, it says in scripture, he tabernacled with them. Tabernacle, it literally means to dwell in. And during their wanderings in the desert, the tabernacle became the temporary dwelling place of God right in the midst of them. He literally dwelt with them, lived with them. And as a result of that, their whole way of life was dependent on what God's presence did. We read in Numbers 9. On the day that the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle. The tent of testimony. And at evening it was over the tent tabernacle like an appearance of fire until morning. So it was always. The cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. And whenever the cloud lifted from over the tent, after that the people of Israel set out. And in the place where the cloud settled down, there the people of Israel camped. At the command of the Lord, the people of Israel set out, and at the command of the Lord they camped. As long as the cloud rested over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. Even when the cloud continued over the tabernacle many days, the people of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was a few days over the tabernacle, and according to the command of the Lord, they remained in camp. Then, according to the command of the Lord, they set out, and sometimes the cloud remained from evening until morning. And when the cloud lifted in the morning, they set out. Or if it continued for a day and a night, when the cloud lifted, they set out. Whether it was two days, or a month, 
or a longer time. But the cloud continued over the tabernacle, abiding there. The people of Israel remained in camp and did not set out. But when it lifted, they set out. When they saw God moving, they followed. But while God stayed somewhere, they remained there. Their dedication to this takes a bit of thinking about. For 40 years, they were living in tents, moving from one place to another, sometimes staying overnight, at other times for a month or more. Now those of you who went to North last year, do you remember what it was like? Do you remember the effort involved in setting up and then packing away? Can you imagine doing that every day? Getting up every day not knowing whether you're going to stay there or move on. Keeping up with the cloud took effort and it took energy And it took commitment. And then if we skip a few hundred years. Finally, the Ark of the Covenant, the very manifest presence of God, is brought back to Jerusalem. God's coming. God is coming to Jerusalem. That was an important day. And in his excitement, King David lost all sense of his dignity. We read this. So David went up and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. In his excitement that God was coming to Jerusalem, David removed everything that might hinder his worship of God. And for him, because he wanted to dance and dance with all his might, he took off all his outer clothing so that nothing would restrain him. He was totally unrestrained in his praise and his worship. The priests, it says, has gone six steps before he started sacrificing animals. David was overcome with excitement. But not everybody thought the same. The passage carries on. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. 
Skipping a few verses, it then says, But Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel has honoured himself today. You can hear the sarcasm in that, can't you? How the king of Israel has honoured himself today, uncovering himself before the eyes of his servants and female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. But David, his heart being pure, wasn't put off by her rebuke. Instead, he says, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all of his house to appoint me as a prince over Egypt, the people of the Lord. And I will make merry before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. I will be abased in your eyes. But the female servants of whom you have spoken... By them I'll be held in honour. Others would recognise that the desire of David's heart was to worship God without any hindrance. It was only those who were too caught up in their own sense of position and self-importance with their own self-image that would have a problem. If David had to humble himself further, if he had to be more undignified in human eyes in order to serve his God, he was the man who was fully prepared to do exactly that. And then as we allow more time to pass, as the temple is completed, And as Solomon dedicates it, God's presence fell in a manifest way. This is what we read in 2 Chronicles 7. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. When all the people of Israel saw the fire fall and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and they worshipped and they gave thanks to the Lord saying, For he is good for his steadfast love endures forever when they were faced with God in such a powerful and profound way all they could do is fall on their faces in worship And then we hit those quiet years. Those years when the prophets were quiet. When the Jews were waiting for their Messiah. 
And then, God chose to dwell with us. He chose to dwell with us in a much more tangible form than even had been seen at the dedication of the temple. We read in John 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then in verse 14, And the Word became flesh, and dwelt amongst us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word, which was with God and was God, has dwelt amongst us. The Greek word there is skeno. Literally, it means he tabernacled with us. He pitched his tent right in the middle of us. For some 30 years, God, in a fleshly form, totally human, pitched his tent amongst us. He lived, he breathed, he walked, he talked, he ate, he drank amongst his family and his friends and his disciples. God was no longer in a tent. Now he had a human body. He was no longer a cloud. Now he was a real person. And then, just as his disciples thought they were getting to know him, he says this. You heard me say to you, I am going away. And I will come to you. You're going? But fortunately, this absence is going to be temporary. Because he says, I will come to you. But what does that mean? What does it mean when Jesus said, I will come to you? Was he referring to his resurrection? He could have been. But if he did, he was referring only to a 40 day period that he spent with his disciples between his resurrection and his ascension. And so, if it was that, he was referring to another temporary event. Perhaps he was referring to the second coming. Don't get me wrong, Jesus is coming again. Revelation tells us of his return. But I don't think that is what Jesus is referring to here. Because to say to his disciples, I'll be back in 3,000 years or so, is of little comfort. 
perhaps he was referring to Pentecost. I think this is the most likely one. Because what he's saying is, I'm not leaving you alone. You're not going to be like orphans left all on your own. Because I will be with you in my spirit. When the spirit comes, Jesus is with us. It's just as if he's back. And so finally, after thousands of years, when the Spirit was poured out on those early disciples at Pentecost, God's presence became permanent amongst us once again. But I wanted to talk about embracing that presence. How do we embrace that presence? It starts at a relationship. We need to be like Adam and Eve before the fall. We need to be welcoming God's presence and entering into conversation with him. Not hiding from him, not shying away, and not sitting in shame. We need to be like Moses. We need to be listening for his call and his voice. We need to be following the Spirit's leading. Like the Jews did for those 40 years in the wilderness. Moving on when he does. Staying where he stays. I once heard someone say, we can't manufacture a move of God any more than we can manufacture an ocean wave. But when we see one coming, we can certainly ride it. We mustn't lag too far behind, nor must we rush ahead of what we see the Spirit doing. Now that is a real challenge for two different groups of people. It's a challenge for those who are prophetic because they see things in the future very often as if they're imminent and they can get impatient. And it's equally difficult for what psychologists call slow adopters. People who don't like change and only go along with it slowly. But we need to follow the Spirit's leading. We need to be like David, wholehearted in our worship, even at the expense of being considered undignified by other people. We need to be like those who saw the glory fall at the temple. Our natural response to God's presence should be devoted worship. We need to welcome the presence of the Holy Spirit amongst us. Just like those early disciples welcomed Jesus. He was their friend as well as their teacher. And then we have a choice to make. We have to choose to embrace the Holy Spirit. We need to accept the Spirit of God, just like those early disciples did at Pentecost. 
with what happened to them in that room that day, they could have had all sorts of different reactions. They could have been purely practical. Ah, what's all this wind and fire? Who's having a laugh? They could have been dismissive. I don't know what all the fuss is about. They could have been focused on their feelings. I don't feel anything. They could have been questioning. Who's ever heard of this happening before? But instead, they chose to be embracing. They tested what they experienced against scripture and concluded, this is what Joel foresaw. This is what one of the prophets has told us about. Because Joel has said, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit. And they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above. And signs on the earth below. Blood and fire, and the vapour of smoke, and the sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, that great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, shall be saved. In the new year, we're going to carry on and we're going to focus on the power of the Spirit. But before we get there, let's make sure that we are as embracing of all that he has to bring as those early disciples. God sends the Spirit of his Son Jesus on his sons. His power is in us. And we should expect to see it. I want to challenge you this morning. As I go back through that list of practical things, I want you just to test your heart. To just say, is this an area where I struggle? To embrace the presence, it starts out of relationship. How's your relationship with Jesus this morning? We need to be listening for that voice and that call on our lives. Are your ears attuned for God's voice? We need to be following the Spirit's leading, moving when he moves and staying when he stays. It's a difficult one. 
Are you on the one hand yet ready to move and yet on the other content to stay? Are you like David? Are you wholehearted in your worship even if others might think you undignified? Are you like those at the temple? Is your response to God's presence to fall on your face in worship? Or does it make you just want to close down and watch? Do you welcome the Holy Spirit amongst us? Is he your friend? As well as bringing conviction into your life and power are you going to choose to embrace the Holy Spirit or are you going to be practical dismissive focused on your feelings or questioning the choice is yours We're going to close the meeting there. If you feel challenged by any of that and you'd like someone to pray with you, just come to the front as we finish the meeting and someone will pray with you. But let's embrace the Spirit. Let's not grieve Him. He's the powerhouse in the church. Let's make sure He's at the centre of everything we do. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk 